0: Well, good morning, everyone. I love it when it's upper 80s. For all you poor people that hate it warm, too too bad, it's coming. I'm going to do my best. Uh, I realize this is a, a series that takes a lot of explaining. I, I get that. And it helps if you were listened the week before and you followed it through. That helps because I just simply don't have the time to review all of it uh, with you each week. But uh, <clears throat> I'll do my best to make this something that uh, is understandable to you at least. <clears throat> when we talk about the feasts of Israel... I call it God's GPS simply because it's a road map of our lives. It really is spiritual lives. It is. It mirrors our spiritual lives if we see it, if we understand it. Now, it's important for you to understand that everything in the Old Testament is really about Jesus. All the law, the Psalms, and the prophets, he said, were, uh, Paul said, were about Jesus. And that, that in, in, incorporates the whole 39 books of the Old Testament. So it's really all about him if you have eyes to see it. And if you see the types and shadows in the old, you can understand the new. The new reveals the old. The old shadows the new. You can see that, but you can't understand the old and all of its spiritual implications from any other perspective other than the perspective of the new covenant and the New Testament. That has to be there for you to understand, really, what took place? They did not know why they were going through these ritualized uh, things that God set for them except for the fact that they knew they were to remember something in their history when they celebrated it. So they, <clears throat> there's a historical fulfillment of the feasts. The nation of Israel keeps them, or some of them do, keep them every year. They were to be kept in perpetuity, God said. So they will gather, they will go through the rituals, of that's laid out in the scripture and they will they will walk through that and they remember a historical event in their history. It starts with the feast of Passover. Okay? That happens in the first month of the religious calendar. It's usually in the springtime of the year sometimes. Anyway, Passover has been historically fulfilled in Israel, correct? Uh, you know about the Passover Right? You know, what happened on that day, on that event, as God was leading or taking them out of 400 years of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he said, the death angel is coming, uh, the, the firstborn. Anyway, I don't want to get into that too much because you, some, most of you already understand that. <clears throat> so, he said, if you, you have to, has to be a lamb slain, a, a perfect lamb, as much as humanly possible. He was slain. The blood was applied to the doorposts, the lentils of the house. They were to eat the unleavened bread. After that, they were to consume the lamb, roasted by fire. If they didn't eat it all, it all had to be burned up. They ate unleavened bread uh, in, that, in that same period of time, right after the, uh, the uh, uh, stuff with the lamb was accomplished. They, then they ate, ate unleavened bread, which is the second part of Passover feast, is unleavened bread. Now, those two feasts together last seven days, okay? Now, it didn't take seven days for God to get them out of there. The feast itself, remembering it, lasted seven days. That's what I'm telling you. Then the day after, the very next day, after unleavened bread, they were to keep the feast of Passover, which is a uh, a feast of of, uh, first fruits, which is a part of... Of that first feast, that's a three-in-one feast: Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Now we've looked at Passover and we've looked at unleavened bread and how that applies to us, how that how that is a spiritual reality for those of us who have experienced it. We've been, we believe in Jesus. We receive the cleansing of His blood by faith. We receive His salvation. His uh, his desire to, for us to be reconciled with Him and with God. He redeemed us. His blood redeemed us. All of that's already been accomplished. It's, it's, it's done. As a matter of fact, it's done for you whether you know it or not. All of that was, is done. Okay. Uh, unleavened bread is a little bit more tricky for us, but it's really eating the unleavened word. It's, it, you know, and this really isn't, the word even though it is the word the word really is Jesus I am the the word he's the word the living word this talks about him but he's the word You understand it so we not literally we don't even though Jesus did say to his disciples eat my flesh and drink my blood and he didn't mean that literally obviously it means to receive, to receive what he did and what he's done and what he's doing by faith, receive it. Now in First Fruits, they're commemorating something else. You realize that it took three days for them as they left Egypt. There's as many as 600,000 of them as they left Egypt. It took them three days to come to the first major obstacle in their exodus from Egypt. Now, God had already promised them a promised land. He has a promised land for them. His intention was not just to take them out, but to bring them in. The bringing in part is very, very important part of that whole scenario. God didn't just take you out. He didn't just take you out. His intention is to take you out to take you in. Take you into what? Into the spiritual promised land that he has promised for you. So don't stop along the way. That's that's what I'm saying. As I told you before, people who resist Pentecost are Passover Christians those that have been born again that, that do know Jesus by faith but resist anything to having to do with the Holy Spirit and what He desires to do with, He's in their lives their body is the temple of the Holy Spirit already they just are afraid or something to receive the manifestation of the Spirit as He presented Himself on the day of Pentecost so don't stop at Passover Don't stop at at unleavened bread. As you're eating unleavened bread, you've got some more feasts to keep, just like they did. And it's actually glorious. The primary point of this, more than anything else, for you and for me, I believe, is that you can face the future that's coming with confidence and hope. Not in a negative way, not in a fearful way. Don't face what God has planned in the coming of Jesus with fear. He says, do not fear. It's a glorious thing, not a negative thing. It's a wonderful thing. God's not through with all that God's going to do in the earth. He's just not. There's more going to take place in the future than's taken place in the past. And there's a lot that has taken place in the past that's wonderful and glorious. There's more coming. Some great things are coming. Now, you also see these feasts, and this kind of helps me, so I think it'll help you. These feasts reveal something about God and about us. Not only does it reveal some things about our future, it reveals some things about our present. Um, It helps me to understand that where God is going in this is, is seen like this. Jesus is revealed in Passover, all of Passover. The Holy Spirit is revealed in Pentecost, which is three months past uh, Passover, in the middle of the year. Then it stands to reason, if Jesus is revealed in Passover, which he clearly was, the Holy Spirit is clearly revealed, came on uh, on, uh, Pentecost, which is 50 days later, the end game of this is to reveal someone else. More fully than ever before. Who is that? The Father. The Son, the Spirit, the Father. Outer court of the temple, the Son, where sacrifices were made. Inner court, the oil, the, 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 the seven golden lamps, sent all of that indicative of the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy of Holies, where the Father is. A revelation of the Father. More than anything else, that is what to look forward to. That God is going to reveal Himself more than ever before. Uh, wouldn't you like to see some of that? Yes. So would I. So it helps me to see that. Uh, there's also um, the revelation of the coming of Jesus and His life, death, burial, and resurrection, the coming of the Spirit. And the second coming of Jesus at the end. So we're talking about end times when we talk about tabernacles. I don't know anyone who disagrees with that honestly. Now where the disagreement comes is what's going to happen. And I don't know honestly. Uh, you, You can have your own opinions about eschatology and I have my own. I don't have to know all that. I have to trust God that it's good and a blessing. Because it will be. There was a great harvest in tabernacles at the end of the year. Uh, a smaller harvest at Pentecost, the early rains, then the latter rains come, so to speak, latter rain, the, the rain of the Spirit. In, in the natural, it's real rain that produces the, the, the abundant harvest in the fall at the end of the year. Okay? So, God's going to do all kinds of things like that. And he's gonna be, it'll be a harvest, obviously, of people. An abundance where the reaper overtakes the sower, which in the natural is impossible. In the spiritual, nothing is impossible. That all kinds, I believe, of manifestations of the presence and the power of God will be revealed. I don't know what that will look like. I have no idea, but I eagerly anticipate what he's going to do. Now, that leaves me not in charge of, of the future nor my own future. It leaves him in charge of the future and my future. Okay, so you got a future and God's in charge of it. And he's so smart. He's smart. There's only one time where I thought I really was convinced that God was wrong and I was right. Well, more than one. And I've said that to him. You know, as far as I can see, I'm right on this one and you're wrong. That may be the first time you've ever been wrong, but you're wrong about this. See, that's the way I talk. He just grins and says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait and see. So, it should give you a great deal of hope as we go through this. Now, remember, Psalm 89, 15. uh, 15, Here's a good reason to study the feast. It says, blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied are the people who know the joyful sound, who understand and appreciate the spiritual blessings symbolized by the feasts. So, there's symbolism in it. They walk, O Lord, in the light and favor of Thy countenance. Okay, today we're going to look at first fruits. <clears throat> um, when the nation of Israel, as they came out, by the way, they were loaded with money and stuff. I mean, they took all this stuff that the Egyptians had, and uh, that was a part of the promise of God. So they were loaded up with stuff. It took them three days to get to the Red Sea. You remember what happened at the Red Sea? Uh, it was an impassable barrier to them. Behind them was Pharaoh's army, at least a portion of his army, who was uh, in chariots, uh, warriors, who were coming after them to kill them, or to at least fight them. So they're trapped. You know, Pharaoh's behind, Red Sea in front. Took them three days to get there. Now, in Exodus 14, let me show you this. Verse 11 says this, Exodus 14:11. Here's how I found 14. Well, verse 9 says then the Egyptians chased after them, Moses, horses and chariots and all that kind of stuff. Verse 11 says then they said to Moses, "Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness?" See that sarcasm? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So this is a common held opinion among them, obviously. And they were upset about it. Would it be not? And later they complain again, even after they go through the Red Sea, about the food that they're getting. You know, it's better to have the leeks, garlics, and onions that were regular staples for us back in Egypt than to cause us to die out here in the wilderness by, by starvation. So they're fussing the whole time. <clears throat> anyway, in the next two verses, God tells Moses, go forward. Don't listen to them, go forward. So Moses says, no, nah, we're going forward. And they're saying, how are we going to go forward? And God tells Moses, take your staff, your rod, touch the water, that's what he does. The water parted, the Israelites passed through again, as many as 600,000 of them. took them a long time to go through the the land to get to the other side. But then you know what happened. Pharaoh's army followed them down into this, and the waters came crashing down on them. So what what was life to the Israelites was death to their enemy. And God said, I want you to keep this feast and remember this in perpetuity. Don't ever forget it. When they got to the other side of the Red Sea, if you'll, if you'll read it, there were, uh, Miriam, who was Moses' sister, led as many as 300,000 women in singing and dancing and celebrating the victory that they had just seen, the incredible miracle that they had just seen God perform. So there was a celebratory aspect to that afterward. It didn't last long. Again, they started griping pretty soon again. Hard-headed bunch of Jewish people. <laughs> Which I'm, I'm sure I would have been in the same boat. I, I, I don't doubt that. But God says, I want you to commemorate this and remember it. Now, <clears throat> I need to read some verses to you from Leviticus about first fruits. Leviticus chapter 23. Verse verse 9 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I'm going to give you to reap its harvest, then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. You take a sheaf of grain, take it to the priest, the priest is going to present it to God before you can eat any of it or harvest any of it. Verse 11, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. Verse 15 says, and you shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. And he's talking about Pentecost there. It's all lined out right there. So here was the deal. At first fruits, to commemorate this passage through the Red Sea, you're to do this before you eat any of your grain, before you harvest any grain, before you take any grain for yourself or anyone else, you go into the field and see the first budding, ripening grain. You take that. It represents the rest of them. You take that little sheaf. You take it to the priest. The priest goes through a ritual of waving this sheaf before God. And then they're accepted. You're accepted then you can go into the harvest you can reap the harvest you're free to do it but you got to first offer this sheaf to God through the priest now do you think those people knew what they were doing they had any idea of the implications of that or the spiritual applications of it centuries later of course not we know because we can look back and see they had no idea what they were doing now, there's a few things that's important about this. The sheaf on the feast day speaks uh, prophetically of Jesus. Jesus historically fulfilled first fruits. I'm going to get into it in just a minute. But Jesus is the first fruits. The, he's the forerunner for us all. As a matter of fact, it's named, he's named as first fruits. He is the first fruit presented to God. He presented himself to God, actually, after his resurrection, before his ascension. He presented himself to God. He was indicative of, a type of, and a forerunner for all of the harvests to come after him, all of the resurrected ones to come after him. It's it's prophetically speaking of you and me and every believer that's been on earth since the beginning, since Jesus. That could not have happened had he not been the first fruit, the first one. So we see that fulfillment in him. Secondly, uh, let me read to you 1 Corinthians 15. A couple of verses here, verse 20. It says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Okay? Okay? For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. Talking about Adam. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all should be made alive. But each is, each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Christ the first fruits. That he was presented to God just like that little sheaf was. So it's, it's a type of modern day revelation it just is now you understand that the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of Christianity Christianity does not exist without the resurrection no other religion on earth uh, is based upon resurrection so it's very important that we understand the implications of this resurrection okay Jesus was not crucified on Friday. There's no such thing as Good Friday. Sorry. It just isn't. It's a, it's a religious idea. And it's, it, people, I've heard people try to justify it. Uh, you know, they'll say, well, there was a mini-Sabbath on Wednesday, and that made the days only, half, count, count, only count half days, because that's the way he was, he was dead for three, in, the, in, in the grave for three days, and then he arose. I said, no, no. That doesn't fit the pattern of first fruits. It doesn't fit the pattern of Passover. It doesn't fit the pattern of unleavened bread. It does not fit the pattern of first fruits. Couldn't have been. They were to start Passover on the Sabbath. They ended... Unleavened bread on the Sabbath, seven days later, and the very next day is first fruits. Talking about the, the resurrection, is first fruits. The very next day. So there's eight days there. On the day, on the Sabbath before Passover, which begins on the next Sabbath, on the Sabbath before the Passover, all of the people would gather in the city of Jerusalem. Each family, head of household, bringing a lamb. There, there were m- more than 100,000 lambs a year slain. More than that. Some estimates as many as 250,000. All these people bringing lambs into the city. Um, matter of fact, every male, at least from 20 miles in, was required to come to the city of Jerusalem at Passover you were beyond that, you didn't have to, you went through your own ritual in the sacrifice of the lamb. However, people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem at Passover. So there was millions of people around the city of Jerusalem at Passover. All of them bringing these little lambs, spotless lambs, that they had taken, and the the command was, Pin them up for four days. Examine them. Make sure there's no spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing in them. That as far as you can tell, they're perfect lambs. They keep them pinned up for four days. And after that, they're pronounced worthy, and they're sacrificed. As everyone is bringing those little lambs into the city of Jerusalem for sacrifice, Jesus was riding in on the day, on the real day... A path over. Jesus was riding the little donkey. Never been ridden before. Uh, There's some symbolism in that. I don't have time to get into. He's riding this donkey. The Lamb of God is coming into the city of Jerusalem through through the north gate. And he's riding this little donkey. While all these other people, men, heads of households, were leading their little lambs to the priests to be sacrificed. Same time. Behold the Lamb of God. He's the real Lamb. These little lambs only represent Him. It's his blood shed. His blood shed. His blood shed cleanses us of our sins. Their blood shed only temporarily covered their sin. Jesus' blood being perfect blood, being the Son of God, cleansed us of our sins. He took care of the sin situation. But he's coming in to shed his blood just like those little lambs were. And if you'll remember, he was kept uh, pinned up, so to speak, for four days, Pontius Pilate, all that took place, and then he was, he was crucified. Okay. Okay. So on that Sabbath, the one before the Sabbath of Passover all the lambs came. They were pinned up four days. So it would have been Wednesday at some time. Let's see the days were from 6pm to 6pm. That's the way the days run. So sometime on Wednesday afternoon probably between 3 and 6 o'clock. It had to be done by 6. because That's when the that's when the next day started. So, sometime between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., all those little lambs were slaughtered. Their remains were cooked. They did the same thing that they did on the night of uh, Passover. Jesus, sometime between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., died on the cross, shed his blood. They took him down and put him in a tomb. He stayed in that tomb exactly three days. As it says, Monday to Thursday, one. Thursday to Friday, two. Friday, Saturday. After 6 p.m., three. Three days. So sometime in the early morning hours, or we don't know exactly, on the day after that Sabbath, Jesus arose. He was raised by the Father. That day is Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. Had to be eight days. The day after the Sabbath, the very next day, he rose, fulfilling first fruits. Typed by passage through the Red Sea. They went down into the water, the water of judgment, so to speak, the The water of death. They go down into the grave. They come up the other side. You see that death, burial, resurrection type. So sometime on Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. Appeared to Mary Magdalene. You remember that? Appeared to Peter. Appeared to John. Appeared to over 500 people over the next 40 days. Before Pentecost. Those 40 days, there's so many types and shadows in here, it just blows your mind. Those 40 days, type the 40 years, the 40 years, type the 40 days that they spent in the wilderness wandering around before they did go into the the promised land under Joshua. I'm, I'm just saying, there's all kinds of types in here. So, Jesus was raised. That's why we celebrate. That's why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we celebrate Christ. That's why we gather together. That, that's, that's why we get together. That's why we, we see that the first day of the week, Sunday, is the day for all the resurrected ones to celebrate. That's why we do that historically. That's why. I'm sorry, the Seventh day Administer got it wrong. I'm sorry. Great people, good people, you know, love them, all that, but they're just dead wrong about this. There is no Sabbath for man. Uh, 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 man is not made for the Sabbath, Sabbath's made for man. You understand that? Every day is to be a Sabbath day in our lives. Every day is resurrection day. Hello. Every day is to be a, a, a resurrection day for us a place a, a day of rest in the literal sense you rest one day but in the spiritual sense you do too you come to rest you rest all the time you rest in him you you trust in him that's your rest sabbath for us is every day now listen why is that important is there something for us to do to keep the feast of first fruits. What can we do spiritually to keep the feast of first fruits? He was raised that day. We remember, we are to remember our own death, burial, and resurrection with Him. We died with Christ, Romans 6. We died with Christ. We were buried with Him. And we rose with him. We died, we were buried, we rose. Being baptized into his death allows us to also be baptized into his life. You understand that? That the old you died. The new you was raised. You've been raised with him. Your hope of resurrection is based upon your hope for His resurrection. You were raised with Him. How do, you, how do you do that? How does the church do that? How have we done that? How have we kept first fruit? How have we done that? What, what ritual? What commemorative event? What, what spiritual activity allows us to keep the, first, uh, the Feast of First Fruit? Water baptism. Water baptism. Spiritual baptism also, but water baptism. You're, you're buried with Christ. Romans 6 says you're buried with Christ into his death. Like as Christ was raised from the dead, even so you've been raised to walk in newness of life. Water baptism. That's how you keep it. And all of this is, is <laughs> I'm telling you, it's all laid out like this. It shows you exactly or as near as we can understand at least, exactly what happened then and what happened now. So if you haven't been water baptized, you ought to. Really. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. You know, some denominations take all these little uh, verses out of context and build a whole denominational system based upon it. They will say you've got to be water baptized in order to go to heaven, in order to know Jesus. Well, mm, no. (laughs) No. It's not true. It's not the case. never has been. It helps you identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as your own. You were raised to walk in newness of life. With a great sense of security. Of absolute security. Trust in the love of God, in his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his his, uh, willingness not only to relate to you but to come into union with you. You are one with him. You you are joined with him in his death. You're joined with him in his burial. You're joined with him in his resurrection. You're raised to new life just like he was. It's already happened. It's not going to happen after you die. It's already happened. That's already a reality for every one of us that believes, right? So don't be wondering, don't be wondering whether or not you know God or you're related to God or, or you, 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 you hope, maybe, hope so, if I do good, enough good things, maybe, you know, it'll outweigh the bad and God will look favor on me and I might get to slip into heaven, you know, by the side door, but I might get there. No, 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 no. Start celebrating now your relationship with him that was bought and paid for by his blood. You were joined with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And there's a bunch of you going to come back probably. Some of us may come back with him when he returns because we'll already be there. We're just going to come back and watch. Watch. It's already happened. It's already a reality for you. Just believe it and receive it. Because there's another feast to keep. There's another one to keep. There's some more to keep. Fifty days from the time they crossed the Red Sea, they came to the base of Mount Sinai, and there God gave the law. And that 50 days is a type and a shadow of Pentecost. 50 days exactly after Jesus was crucified. you got another feast to keep. And we're going to look at that one next week. It's the Feast of Pentecost. It's the the person. It's the work. It's the the ministry. It's the precious uh, life of God in you. He desires to express through you the life of God. At Pentecost, we became one with God. His presence of His Spirit inside of us. That's what happened. Okay? Why don't you stand up and I'll pray for you. By the way, Wendy, thank you for what you've done the last number of weeks. Uh, we appreciate that, and all the ones that helped you, uh, Abby and the others, and Sean has been a tremendous help to us. As most of you know, we've had a tremendous turnover a situation. Uh, things aren't as they were, but uh, we're going to go forward. We're going to rebuild, and it's you know more than likely going to be a lot better. Lord willing. Now I know some of your heads are spinning. Like, oh, what is this? He didn't even tell any stories. <laughs> These are the kind of messages that allow you to tell a lot of stories. But don't let it spin too fast. Fundamentally it means Jesus died for you. You were raised with Him. You're in union with God. You're a spiritual being trapped in a human body. You're not a spiritual person. You're a spiritual being. You already are. You have the opportunity to go forward in your life and receive all that Jesus died to give you. Jesus came to restore everything that was lost in Adam. That union with God. As a matter of fact, he's restoring more than we lost in Adam. Remember that. You, you set your eyes on him. And you live your life with your eyes on on him. It's easy to get them off of him, isn't it? During this whole political season. I got my eyes off of him some. I'm begging him, but I'm not trusting him. I'm begging him, but I'm not trusting him. And my eyes got on things that made me very, very angry and upset. And as I started looking at this theories I said uh oh I need I need to go back where I was which is trusting him with the future I believe millions of people will come into the kingdom in the last days and we're headed toward the last days we have to be all these other feasts have been fulfilled except that one it's been over 2,000 years if that one happened so we're moving toward the end times we really are, have been have been really for a long time don't you ever fear it anticipate it look forward to it eagerly receive it whatever it is will be a manifestation of the life of God beyond what we've seen That keeps me on the straight and narrow as far as trusting God with the future. Okay? Lord, bless these dear ones. I pray for them and the ones they love. I pray, Lord, for health. I pray for safety. I pray for protection. I bless them with the very resurrected life of Christ. I pray, Lord, they'll be energized in their hearts. I pray all the fears, worries, uh, misgivings, Whatever is existent about the future, Lord, I pray that all of that will just go away in the light of the promises that you've made to us, and our trust in you to fulfill them. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. Thank you that you're trustworthy. Thank you, Father, for the great future we all have in you. And I bless them with a sense of security and peace about the future. I pray, Lord, that all the worries and fears and all the things that come to intrude on our rest and on our peace in Jesus' name will be gone. And I bless them with a sense of rest and peace today in Jesus' name. Amen.